Let us pray. I want to talk to you today about Christmas comfort. We'll pray and I'll read uh, the passage and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Uh, Let's pray. Uh, Our Father, in the name of Jesus, we come again. Uh, We are thankful for the privilege of being able to pray. We're thankful for your word and for your spirit and how, Lord Jesus, you said you would be here when we met together in your name And you would be the choir master, you would be the chief musician, you would teach us what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. And we ask you for nothing less than that and even more, uh, Lord Jesus, as we talk about you and what you came to do, uh, be be kind, be be gracious with us, with our hearts. Help me, uh, Lord, make your appeal through me to the hearts and minds of your people. Keep watch over the door of my lips, Father, and I pray that everything that is said uh, from this moment on would be pleasing and honoring to you, edifying for your people. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk to you about part two, uh, the comforts of Christmas. Last week we spoke about, um, from Matthew chapter three, about uh, the first message that Jesus came uh, when when he came to this world, the first message he gave was a message of repentance. It's a message calling us on the carpet, so to speak, about our, our sin and our rebellion and, um, and that he would meet us, as it were, in the waters of baptism when we came clean and came uh, to confess our sin. Jesus would be there to claim our sin and to wash us and to clothe us in his righteousness, fill us with his spirit, seal us until the great day of redemption. So we have a splendid, wonderful, majestic Savior, a Redeemer, unlike anything anywhere. Um, Zales has diamond sales around this time of year, you know. But our rock is uh, nothing like their rock. You understand what I'm saying? We got a real rock, you know. When the luster fades and the glitter gets grimy, you know, our rock still shines. And um, so this morning I want to... Uh, continue talking about the comforts of of Christmas, Christmas comfort. And I want to look at the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to be reading uh, just a few verses there, Hebrews chapter 2. If you have a Bible, please turn with me there, Hebrews 2. I'll start reading at verse 14, Hebrews 2, 14. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood... He himself, that's Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, 
He is able to help those who are being tempted. Christmas comfort. You know, Jesus Christ can only be appreciated if His advent is received for the same purpose for which it was given. Jesus came to die, to give his life as a ransom, a payment for sinners, rebels, and perverts. And if you have never thought of yourself in those categories, it is impossible for you to appreciate Advent. You don't see a need. What's all the fuss about? The author of Hebrews aimed to proclaim a real need for Jesus. He exhorted his audience, and now you, uh, to appreciate the absolute and indispensable necessity for Jesus' advent. Jesus came to bring real salvation to real sinners, real rebels, real perverts. A pervert is not who you might think. A pervert is anybody who twists a God-given purpose and uses it for something else. Like you can use your tongue to slander. That's perverted. Um, Jesus came uh, to deal with these things. The author of um, Hebrews talks about Jesus and the salvation he came to give. Jesus was commissioned to bring many sons and daughters into glory. All of these things are utterly impossible without the death of Jesus on the cross. Salvation from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, from the pollution of sin, from the persuasion of sin, from the presence of sin, That old rugged cross, so despised, though void of garland and tinsel and strings of popcorn, is the only Christmas tree that has ever existed. It only had one light on it. It only had one ornament hanging on it and only one star on top of it. That thing will preach all by itself there. That light was named Jesus. Therefore, uh, take comfort, number one, take comfort, Jesus delivers you from the fangs of the devil. Unlike Superman, Spider-Man, Batman, Supergirl, and Wonder Woman, whose unrealistic superpowers and perks always get the front page of the newspaper, The Bible says in this particular passage that Jesus' solidarity with your flesh and blood, your weakness and your mortality is what is highlighted here in the incarnation. He took on your vulnerable flesh and blood. He took your nature because he came to die and through death, it says, destroy the devil, the one who has the power of death. The power of death is what Paul calls the sting of death, in which uh, he defines as sin. John defines sin further as lawlessness. 
John said Jesus Christ appeared in order to take away sin, the practice of sin, the love for sin, the habit of sin, the pattern, the addiction to lawless and loveless living. He came to replace that kind of habit, that kind of pattern, that kind of of attraction, that type of uh, addiction with loving righteousness and righteous loving and righteous living. He came to give you a brand new pattern of, of life, a brand new fabric of life, love, righteousness, faithfulness. John says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil in you. That's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about as well. Jesus does this through giving you a new birth, a new genesis, by placing God's seed, literally God's spermata, in you. God's DNA. so that you might participate in God's nature. Merry Christmas. That's a real gift. Don't let this world fool you and the devil fool you with their discounts this time of year. You know, uh, for an example, we live in a, a gender-fluid culture gender reassignment culture. You can be a woman or a man. You can take your pick. That's some twisted stuff. Uh, Doesn't make a difference what parts you came with. You can switch it all up. But why trade such such a cheap thrill when you can participate in the divine nature? You can get the characteristics of God himself. The devil wants you to be self-centered, self-attracted, self-addicted, so that you believe being your own God, making your own decisions, determining your own life, making up your own rules, is the best thing. When in reality, the best thing is, is what God has given in his Son. That through Jesus Christ, you're able to be conformed to the likeness and the image of Jesus. You're created in God's image, and Jesus is God's image. And you can be like him. You can share his nature. God is determined to reassign your characteristics and your traits to be like his. How's that for reassignment? That's some glorious stuff there. Jesus came so that you might have a new genesis, that he might deliver you from Satan's fangs, self-centered living, being a self-made, self-serving, self-enslaved individual. Jesus came to deliver us, to deliver you from that. So take comfort, Jesus delivers you not only from the fangs of the devil, but from the fear of death. Verse 15 says, Jesus partook of your flesh and blood to deliver all of you who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Without Jesus, you'd be wise to be afraid to die. 
Um, judgment follows death, and without Jesus, condemnation and punishment is all that's left. Whoever does not believe, the Bible says, is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Whoever does not believe and obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Without Christ, fear of death leads to lifelong slavery, the writer of Hebrews says. What does that mean? Notice it is through the fear of death that this particular type of slavery secures its captives and makes them helpless. It's clear to see that the type of slavery that is being talked about here is just the opposite of what it means to be a son of God, a daughter of God. In the book of Romans, light is thrown on this fear of death that brings a certain type of slavery. It says in the book of Romans, for all of you who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. All your anxieties and all your worries, no matter what they are, you can cast them on your Father. If you don't If you have this fear of death that brings this type of slavery, you don't have a father in heaven that you can run to and cry to. You know, when Jesus was in Gethsemane, he fell down and said, Abba, Father, he could cry to his father, knowing that his father was going to do everything perfect for him. That's the same thing with you. If you know you have a father in heaven, you can pray. You can pray about whatever's going on in your life. You can bring it to God in prayer, and God will give you peace that surpasses all understanding, guarding your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Isn't that true? And, and you don't have to be a slave to fear, slave to death, and, 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 and a fear of, in fear of death. Uh, you can cry out to God, and He will give you peace. Your Father in heaven fellowships with you, guides you, and loves you. You can laugh in life. You know, uh, you can laugh in the face of death because you know that God has you. If God is for you, who can be against you, right? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who's going to separate you from the love of Christ? Come on with it. Ain't nobody going to separate you from the love of Christ. Can't nobody do that. Paul ran that thing to the hilt. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor anything else in all creation can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. The love of God, which you find and discover in Jesus Christ. Nobody can separate you from that love. God is determined Uh, with all of his power and all of his wisdom to manipulate every single solitary thing in this universe for your good. That's some serious stuff, man. You ever get your head wrapped around that thing? Every single solitary thing that happens in the universe. They got people floating to Mars, man. In the whole universe, whatever happens... 
God is manipulating that thing for your good. You can't beat that. Go to Walmart and see if you find that. You and I should get our minds wrapped around that. God's perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. Fear has to do with punishment. If you're afraid to die, it's because you're afraid you're going to get punished. It's not simply about unknown. It's about God. You know. The Bible says you know. You may act like you don't know, but you know that there is a God and he's waiting. And if you don't know him, you're in trouble. And uh, perfect love, though, his perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment, which brings us to our third point. Take comfort because God delivers you from the fury of the deity. Um, the comfort of the last point um, is further amplified by Jesus now said to deliver us from the wrath of God. Uh, it says that in verses 16 and 17. Surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the seed of Abraham. When angels left their proper dwelling, uh, God did not uh, send any help for them. The Bible says God kept them in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Uh, But you have not learned Christ this way. And, you know, it's interesting when it says the seed of Abraham, it's singular. And it could be talking about the collective people of God, probably is. It's also talking about Jesus is the seed of Abraham. You know, Jesus, as the seed of Abraham, he did not keep his first dwelling either. Not because of disobedience like the angels, but through divine commission. He came to this world uh, and emptied himself so he could suffer. How did he help the seed of Abraham? By suffering. The prophet said, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for your transgressions. He was crushed for your iniquities. He was chastised so that there might be peace, shalom, for you. Um, He was wounded so that there might be healing for you. Struck down, oppressed, afflicted, judged, taken away, cut off, put to grief for you. Amen. You know, the Bible says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus can faithfully mediate for you. Look at what it says over in Hebrews chapter uh, 5, verse 7. Hebrews, just a a couple chapters over, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, it says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Jesus Christ um, lifted up loud cries and tears to his Father who judges righteously, who could save him. Look at Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. 
uh, it says in verse uh, 23, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, that is Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus always lives to make intercession for you. The Bible says in, in 1 John chapter 2, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous one. He's a defense attorney. And when you go to court, everybody's got to go to court. You ever get jury duty? Do they have jury duty in, in Maryland? They, okay, they got it in Pennsylvania, and you get that subpoena. You get that, that one day, one trial. And you can, you can call in and get excused. You can ask your boss uh, to write you a note, can't you? I got out of it a lot of times. I asked my boss, I don't want to go down there for $9, come on. And, um, and I, I asked my boss, he sent a note. And, and I call in, you know, you put that, that code in there, and they say, you've been excused for duty, duty, duty. And I was like, yes, and hung the phone up. But you know, there's one day, one trial, right? You can't get out of that one. You've got to meet your maker. You've got to meet the Lord, and you can't get an excuse from that one. And uh, the only one who can help you on that day is the real attorney, Jesus Christ. And he said to all who believe in him, he will stand and plead your defense. He'll show his wounds. He'll show the holes in his body and say, this one's been snatched from the fire. And uh, do you know that today, personally? Jesus is a seated high priest. You know, it says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9 or 10, it says that um, all priests stand all day long offering sacrifices. But Jesus, it says in chapter 1, he sat down after making purification because his work was finished. It's a done deal. You believe you're in. You can't get out. You wouldn't want to. Um, and all these blessings come to every single person who, who, like Abraham, believes. It says, children of Abraham, offspring of Abraham, seed of Abraham. He helps the seed of Abraham. What does that mean? He only helps the Jews? No, the seed of Abraham refers to those who believe the way Abraham believed. Whether you're Jew, whether you're Gentile, doesn't make no difference where you come from, who your mama was. You know what I'm saying? As long as you believe in Jesus, you're a child of Abraham. According to Galatians chapter 3, 27 through 29, you are a child of Abraham if you believe in Christ Jesus and he helps the seed of Abraham. Those who believe that God is able to do the impossible. Abraham was 100 years old, as good as dead, the Bible says. How would you like a description of yourself, as good as dead? How would you describe them? I think they're as good as dead. Well, that's the way God described Abraham. And Sarah's womb was dead. She was barren. She was all dried up. But then the laughter came when Isaac came. God is able to do what's impossible. Yes, he is. The only thing God can't do is fail. The only thing God can't do is sin. The only thing God can't do is lie. But he can do the impossible. Well, yes, he can. Those who believe God's do the impossible. Egypt coming on the, on the hill and Israel standing there in front of the Red Sea, the deep blue sea. God said, God said, Moses, stretch out your hand, put the rod in the air, and the sea split right down the middle. Dry land, wow. 
That's amazing. Some people say it's a fairy tale. Keep believing it, okay? It ain't no fairy tale, okay? If Hollywood can do it, God can do it. You understand what I'm saying? Don't even go down that road. God is the one who says in, in, in Romans chapter 4, God is the one who justifies the ungodly without good works. Imagine that. You can go to God without good works and still get justified because good works come from Jesus and he takes his righteousness and trades it for your unrighteousness. He switches things up. And you can get justified. You can de get declared just as righteous and just as sinless as Jesus. You've got faith like Abraham, who, who hope against hope. Jesus helps you where you have no hope. That brings us to our last point. Take comfort because Jesus delivers us from the force of deception. It says in verse 18, for because he himself suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Did you ever get tempted to sin? Of course you do. What a silly question that is. But um, you ever get tempted and, and you it feel hopeless, feel helpless, don't know what to do. And uh, Jesus is a real-time Savior. You know, he can sympathize with your weaknesses. The Bible said he's been tempted in every single way, just as we have been, yet without sin. Therefore, we can come boldly to the throne of grace and receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus is not in the same mess, even though he dealt with the same mess. Um, Jesus dealt with the worst-case scenarios. Satan's full playbook, his bag of tricks, everything, his whole arsenal was militantly thrown at Jesus, and Jesus didn't flinch. A hair. He just said, get behind me, Satan, and kept getting up. And because he dealt with the full arsenal, very few people ever deal with the full arsenal. I don't think anybody ever deals with the full arsenal of Satan. Nobody ever deals because, because when you break, it's the temptation's over now, you don't sin. But Jesus dealt with the whole weight of the freight of Satan's playbook and didn't budge a nanometer, or whatever else is smaller than that. <laughs> he didn't budge. And then he also dealt with God's wrath, the full weight and freight of God's wrath. He dealt with it on the cross. He dealt with Satan. He dealt with, with God's wrath. He dealt with all of it. He didn't choke. He didn't break. So whatever breaks you, you can bring to him, and he'll help you. You can pray to him. You can come boldly. Jews at this particular time were being tempted to turn back to Judaism, which now in this, at, at that time had become basically self-reliance because the system had broken down. Once, once the sacrifice of Christ was given, the old system is, is obsolete. It, it, it doesn't work anymore. It, it never worked to begin with. It was provisional. It was there as a reminder of sin. It was there to take you by the hand and, and bring you to Calvary and say, this is what you really need. And, uh, and, and Jews were relying on themselves for, 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 for salvation. And, and you get tempted, don't you, to rely on yourself, don't you? Of course you do. Why pray 
when you can worry, right? Why pray when you can worry and get anxious? That burns more calories, you know that? Um, why, why pray when you can worry and, and, and gloriously save the day yourself, right? That's what it's leading to. Uh, why, why read your Bible when you can just stroke your ego and tap into your vast intellect and try harder the next time with, with new wisdom? Why read the Bible, right? Uh, hopefully you're not buying that. Uh, 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 you desperately need help. Uh, you and I, we need Jesus. Quit trying to play it cool, you know? You try to play it cool like you got everything together. Just, just, just say a little prayer. You need to, you need to cry out. Uh, you, know, you know, your prayer closet needs sometimes to become a little bit more chaotic than it is right now, you know? These nice itsy-bitsy prayers. You say, Jesus, help me. I need help. I'm messed up here. You know what I'm saying? Uh, there needs to be uh, uh, some desperation. Cry like a baby. Desperate like a widow. Salvate like a dog. You know what I'm saying? Remember that? Remember that? Amen. When, when, that, when that woman came to Jesus, right? She said, uh, oh, can you help my daughter? She's, she's, she's demon-possessed. And Jesus ignored the woman. He's trying to pull faith out of her. He didn't even look away. She kept on pleading. And he said, it's not right to give the children's bread to dogs. I mean, that's a serious insult. You know what I'm saying? She said, yeah, master, but the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She said, woman, great is your faith. It's done. And we need some more chaotic praying like that up in the house of faith. In, in, in your struggles, in your trials, you have a real-time Savior. Did you know that? Amen. He came down here. He dealt with life. He dealt with all the struggles that you and I deal with. He sympathizes. And he's there. He's present and accounted for. Emmanuel, God with us, never leave us or forsake us. He is with us, and you and I ought to be bold in our prayers to him. We shouldn't try to figure it out. The Bible says he'll give you peace that surpasses your understanding. We try to go to God understanding everything. Well, this is the way it's going to happen, God. I'm going to tell you, and I'm just going to pray, and all this stuff. Shut up, please. Stop it. Stop that stuff. Go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I messed up here. I need your help. I don't know how you're going to figure it out, but I know, I know you can. I know you got all power. I know you got all wisdom. I know you love me to death. You laid down your life for me, and you gave me the best. So I'm, I'm here to cash in, baby. I'm here. I'm here at the bank of Christ, baby. I'm here because I'm here to withdraw some blessing. I'm here to withdraw some peace. I'm here to withdraw some wisdom. I'm here to withdraw whatever I need, Lord Jesus. I don't even know what I need. But you know what I need. You made me. You built me. You, whipped me. you, you sewed me up in my mother's womb. You know everything there is to know about me and some. So we ought to be praying. We ought to be chaotic when we come to pray, God and pray. You ever see a baby, Jose, Jose mentioned that baby, his baby, Adriel, crying like a crazy man. That's the way you ought to be sometimes. You ought to cry to Jesus like that. You ever cry? Because we don't like that because it messes with our ego. Mess with our pride. We get all messy. Got tears all in, mess the makeup and all that stuff. I don't worry about no makeup, but I mean, y'all, some of y'all do. But I mean, we get, we get ourselves all, all sedity and dignified, you know, and, and, and we need to be desperate. You know what it's like to stick your head in the water 
and blow bubbles and then hold your breath. That's a silly thing to do. You realize that, right? But you understand what it's like to lose your breath. And, and, you, you, and then when you finally get your breath, you imagine something holding you under a bathtub uh, water, and then they let you go. And the way you breathe air like that, you're desperate. You're desperate. You want to live. That's the way you ought to be in prayer life. You've got a Savior who was desperate to save you. Be desperate to run after him. Um, you know, in the, in the uh, some of y'all know this. Some of you maybe not be able to appreciate it. But, you know, um, don't, miss, uh, don't miss Jesus. Uh, someone one time sang, you'll never find. As long as you live, someone who loves you, tender, they said like I do, but I say like Jesus. You'll never find, no matter where you search, someone who cares about you like Jesus. That thing will preach, you know that? Lou Rawls didn't know what he was talking about when he was singing that song. You'll never find, it'll take the end of all time, someone to understand you like Jesus. Don't miss Jesus' love. Then uh, Jennifer Holiday. You remember Jennifer Holiday? And I am telling you, I'm not going. She says, you're the best man I ever know. And we ought to be saying about Jesus, you're the best one I ever know. No, 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 no way. No way I'm living without you. That's the way we ought to be. We got the pagans up here expressing the kind of, kind of devotion for, for the likes of mortality that we should be expressing for immortality. We should be excited about Jesus. He came. He came to die. He came and died. He came and uh, was buried. He took your sin to the grave. And he rose again from the dead with all power and authority, and he is present with you always, even to the end of the age. And we should be thankful people, joyful people. Whatever problem you have, Whatever struggle you're in right now, it is a piece of cake to Jesus. And he aims to slice it up and let you eat some. You understand what I'm saying? Rejoice in the Lord. Let let us pray. Let's pray. We need to um, confess our sin and come to God. We're just going to have our corporate confession at this time and go to the table. Let's, Let's pray this together.